Okay, ladies and gents, it is October 31st, 2023, and that is called Halloween. Yeah, Halloween is tonight. My daughter's dressing up as Daphne from the Scooby-Doo show. She's never seen Scooby-Doo, but uh, Daphne has a long reach, let me tell you. Anyway, um... I thought today, the By Jove show, we would, uh, you know, go back to the conflict that's happening in the Middle East. And I say conflict in the Middle East because now it's, uh, it, I think it is a much broader conflict. Um, we don't have all-out war, but we definitely have war actions by many sides, including the U.S. And... Um, but the majority of what's going on is um, the Israeli government, and I might add the conservative parts of the Israeli government, um, insisting on bombing Gaza back into the into the Stone Ages, as they say. And uh, this is quite quite a massacre. Um, and um, you know, it didn't happen in a vacuum. Um, of course, the uh, the actions by presumably Hamas against the innocent uh, Israeli people, uh, most of them, is still reprehensible. Um, will always be reprehensible, and uh, you got to feel for the family members, etc., etc. Um, I think we do have to keep saying that. Um, because uh, what you do personally, you know, in the moment, hand-to-hand, -hand, is very important, just as important, if not more important, than what's happening on a global scale. But we don't know the details of all that yet. We're going to have to wait for that. Those stories will be told. Although I noticed in The Guardian there is an amazing um, continuing piece that's been going on for a while about somebody who's, who's on the ground in there and suffering each day. Um, each day getting a little bit closer to, um, I don't want to say death, I hope not for that individual, but uh, certainly fading, fading fast, um, the point where they're weak and uh, weak in body, let's say. Um, in spirit, they're very strong. But, uh, you know, I thought I'd add in another voice here because, of course, you, you usually get most of your news from... The Western point of view, which means that you're you're going to get it filtered with a good dose of bias towards Israel, and I mean, in some ways that it makes sense, but is it correct? I don't I don't know. Um, of course, uh, after 9/11, I was in the news business from about 2000 to 2005, and uh, when I saw what was going on there. From the inside, um, I decided I I wanted to get out because I didn't feel like the uh, coverage was not only fair but realistic. Um, it was very biased, so biased in fact that we knew the war was going to happen two months before it even started. Now, when you have that much closeness to the war de the war department, <laughs> I call it the war department because there's nothing defensive at all about our defense department. If that were the case, I could support it, but I don't know that we've ever been in a war that's been defensive, honestly. Um, if you call the war a terror war, it's, it's not a war. It's just a rhetoric, and it, it gives them the, the license to do as they, as they wish, and license to kill, as we say. And the Israelis have very much uh, taken that on I mean, in the rhetoric. Um, that's, that's pretty much front and center, right? This is a war on terror. Okay. Well, the problem with a lot of the coverage is that we assume, I mean, it's kind of a both sides of them problem, right? That, well, there's this side's view and there's this side's view, and they're equally valid, and therefore we're going to kind of analyze everything through that lens. Well, that's not true, of course. I'm not saying valid in terms of the truth. I'm saying valid in terms of, you know, um, trying to get to the reality of the situation, not, not like when you say truth, that's a very loaded word, of course. But, um, you know, 
there has to be some means testing in the reporting, right? And of course, we know from our experience in 9-11 that when you look at, back at it retrospectively, all of, it, all of a sudden people can see it, right? They can see the biases. They can see the, the slow, you know, sinking into authoritarianism. And um, I don't want to say fascism because, of course, that's very loaded, um, particularly in this case. We don't want to get into those words. But, um, you know, I think the fact is is that retrospectively we seem to be able to see things. But uh, when things are happening in the current moment, um, for, for many of us, it is uh, expeditious to, to ignore um, some of the details, and for many reasons some of which are propaganda-based, but people just, for good reason, don't want to see um, mayhem and killing and murder and all that kind of thing, right? It, it's traumatic to even watch it, let alone be uh, in the middle of it. So I'm going to start today by going to Al Jazeera, because uh, Al Jazeera was definitely a place that I thought um, I could, I could, I could, uh, I could find a home at, and uh, many people on the staff who I was working with in Washington D.C. Um, at the National Bureau. I won't say which, which um, bureau it was, but you'll probably figure it out. It doesn't really matter. Um, there was a wholesale transfer of uh, people who went from one show that was that had ended in in two thousand four. Uh, and went over to Al Jazeera to work for them. Um, so I thought that was a, a surprisingly um, robust number of us decided that working for the same umbrella organization without our leader, as he had been pushed out, was, was, was you know, a little too much for us to, to deal with. Um, and uh, our dear leader was... Uh, was was gotten rid of, probably for a reason. So, a whole bunch went over to Al Jazeera. For some reason, I just I was employed in other things and busy with, you know, preparing for fatherhood and going back to graduate school and all this other stuff. So I just got out of the news business altogether. Um, but anyway, let's let's take a look at Al Jazeera and see how this this coverage is a little different. Right? So right on top you have a red ribbon on their website that says breaking. Israel attacks Jabalia refugee camp. Dozens killed. Okay, why are you bombing refugee camps? Why are you bombing hospitals? Why are you... Well, the usual reasoning is that, well, Hamas, these dirty rotten scoundrels like the Viet Cong, you know, they, they have tunnels and they guerrilla warfare and they don't fight with honor and face to face well um, I don't know I think the truth is actually the opposite there's a lot of drones and airstrikes being perpetrated on the people in Gaza and they're being decapitated and split in half just like uh, the you know people who attack the Israelis but at least in their case they did it hand to hand right? there's something to be said for having to do that when you're looking into someone's eyes, as opposed to, you know, it being a, a video game, more or less. Um, you never see your victims. It's one of the dehumanizing forces of war, which I've talked about in the past, anyway. Um, yeah, so, the reason that they uh, are bombing these things that, you know, in anybody's book would be considered, uh, you know, a bad thing to do, um, is because they say that Hamas is using civilians as, as human shields and that Hamas has all their stuff in these places, and so they have to bomb it. Well, that's not necessarily a foregone conclusion in my book. Um, you know, Hamas is everywhere. I mean, in Gaza, according to Israel. So, I mean, you might as well just bomb indiscriminately, I suppose. But... To claim that they have human shields, I mean, if that's true, it, it still doesn't give you the right to, you know, it's, it sounds like, okay, now now we're going to convince everybody because we're going to say they use human shields. No, no, we're just going to say, uh, no, you're still wrong. 
right? We're not going to fall in that trap. So if, if people are being used as human shields, even, even more reason not to bomb them, because then uh, it seems to me that those human shields are innocent people who certainly do not deserve to die so horrifically and violently. Anyway, um, okay, so crossing to Egypt to open for injured Palestinians on Wednesday. That's a good thing. Um, what else is coming up on the road? Israeli troops push deeper into Gaza using tanks and bulldozers. Okay, we, we knew that. Um, but they, uh, as part of their coverage, they, uh, they were doing kind of a body count, right? And a body count on the Palestinian side, uh, mostly inside Gaza, is uh, 8,000 plus. Now, the other day, I mentioned was when, is, when Israel reports deaths and injuries and the rest, they say Israel, you know, or they don't even mention Israel. They just say these are the amount of deaths and these are the amounts of injured. When it's a Palestinian report from the Gaza Health Ministry or some other thing, it's always purportedly in quotes, you know. So that, to me, um, is a tell, right? That uh, you, you don't consider the sources from within Gaza or the Palestinian people legitimate, right? Which also means that, by extension, you don't think they are legitimate because you don't believe that they're telling you the truth, all right? And you have no evidence to support that. So who's biased? I'll let you answer that one. So anyway, live updates here. Um, dozens killed in Israeli air attack on refugee camp, Gaza officials say. Strike on densely populated residential block causes massive crater in Jabalia refugee camp, kills and wounds many. And... Uh, there was a, another um, statistic on this red ribbon across Al Jazeera's website, which was reporting on the number of women and children who are being killed and injured. And I think the last one I saw, they don't seem to be doing it still, but the last one I saw said that every day there are some 400 women and children killed or injured. Now that's a pretty drastic rate, 400 a day. Okay, so it sounds like Israel is going to go ahead. Netanyahu is very adamant about it. There's going to be no ceasefire. Um, the UN and other agencies, um, the International Criminal Court, are desperate to try and convince them, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It looks like Netanyahu and therefore the Israeli uh, government and uh, even the populace, to some extent, is going to back this this um, incursion and back it for the un, you know for the uh, foreseeable future. So, at a rate of four hundred women and children a day, um, eight thousand is going to seem like nothing by the time they're done. I imagine this is going to at least, um, and all indications from the Israeli government seem to indicate that we're going to have months of this, right, not weeks. So if you take, let's say, 100 days, multiply by 4,000, um, we're talking a rather obscene amount of people who are basically innocent being killed. Now, back in the old days, depending on who you are, what that means, but um, I don't know if you recall, but during, I think it was the Gulf War in the early 90s, the United States was pummeling, um, you know, various places with uh, shelling from the air and uh, missiles, uh, cruise missiles, etc. And one of them went off, off, off the, the, the precision guiding system, I guess. And uh, I think in Baghdad, um, ended up hitting the Chinese embassy. And of course, the Chinese people. Chinese government, the diplomats had absolutely nothing to do with what was going on, but uh, I think there were, you know, upwards of a dozen people killed. Um, and uh, at that time, it was considered a uh, a tragedy of high proportions. It was considered anathema. It was considered disgusting, disgraceful, you know, horrific, whatever um, descriptors you want to uh, put on it. 
um, that this had happened, right? That uh, bystanders, civilians are killed in in course of warfare. Well, you know, it is going to happen. But there was a great uproar, and it was taken seriously here in the United States, and it was, you know, there was investigations and the rest of it, apologies. But so, see how far we've come, you know? It is, it is completely the opposite these days. Now you kill 400 women and children in one day, and you, you don't even, it doesn't even register, barely as a statistic. Anyway, that's the sad commentary that we've gone so far backwards. Um, what else? Gaza, a graveyard for children, a living hell for everybody else. Okay, here's the figure. Gaza has become a graveyard for thousands of children. That's according to the UN. Okay, so that you can consider it a relatively unbiased. I mean, it's not unbiased, but it's it's better than hearing it through, you know, NATO kind of sources. But uh, Here's the subtitle. An average of 420 Palestinian children have been killed or injured every day in the Gaza Strip since October 7th. And of course, you have photographs of these little kids who are probably, I would say, five, seven, bloody faces, um, bandaged limbs, uh, ripped, torn clothes, dirty, wet, um, Quite a horrific scene. I mean, these poor children. This is a, at Al-Aqsa Hospital. Yeah. So, Gaza Strip is now a graveyard for thousands of children, the United Nations has said, and it, and it warned of the prospect of more dying of dehydration amid Israel's war on the besieged enclave. So, I haven't heard much about war crimes in terms of cutting off uh, food, electricity, water, medical supplies, etc., etc. Um, then they decided that they were going to disable the communication system, which from the Israeli point of view makes sense because um, the cell phone is a wonderful tool. If you're a dis-empowered dis, dis, uh, minority, the cell phone is your friend, like here in the United States with all the police shootings, right? Um, it, it, it recorded the truth. We should all be behind recording the truth, no matter what your side on, which which side you're on. But anyway, um, they decided to take down the internet, basically, and uh, you know I guess people could still record things, but they couldn't get it out um, through through the internet. And uh, but I'm sure we will see some things very soon, and be shocked, even though we're so uh, let's say deadened to shock at this point. But uh, the Israeli army has widened its air and ground attacks on Gaza, including houses and hospitals, which has been under relentless air raids since the surprise offensive by the Palestinian group Hamas on October 7. that killed 1,400 people in Israel, according to Isra Israeli officials. Mm -hmm. More than 8,500 Palestinians, mostly children and women, have been killed, Gaza's health ministry said. At least they didn't put it in quotes this time. Our gravest fears about the reported numbers of children killed becoming dozens and hundreds and ultimately thousands were realized in just a fortnight. James Elder, a spokesperson for the United Nations Children's Fund, said in a statement on Tuesday, the numbers are appalling. Reportedly more than 3,450 children killed. Staggeringly, this rises significantly every day. Gaza has become a graveyard for thousands of children. It's a living hell for everyone else. I don't think you can put it any better than he did. Um, Catherine Russell, the executive director, director of UNICEF, also said that at least 6,300 children have been injured due to Israeli attacks. Okay, so how many children is it going to take for them to be even? Hmm? If that's how they're thinking about it. I, I don't think they're thinking it that way. Um, in some ways that makes a little bit of sense, but it's still disgusting to, you know, tally up things and say we're even, right? But it's better than saying we're going to kill 10 times as many people as you killed of ours. The body called for a new, you know, well, let's see, these numbers should shock and shake us to the core, Russell said, of course. If we're shocked by 18 people kill, killed in Maine, I mean, my God, we should be killed, we're shocked by 4,000 children. 
Oh my God. The body called for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire with all access crossings into the Gaza, Gaza Strip open for the safe, sustained, and unimpeded access to humanitarian aid, including food, water, medical supplies, and fuel. Well, that's not happening. And if there is no ceasefire, no water, no medicine, and no release of abducted children, question, then we hurtle towards even greater horrors afflicting innocent children. Said some 940 children are missing. And then another spokesperson for the UN, some other office says, it's almost unbearable to think about children buried under rubble, but with very little opportunity or possibility for getting them out. Yeah. Wow, God, that is really just horrible. Um, here's a little article that says Yemeni's Houthis say they launched ballistic missiles, drones at Israel. Yep. And pretty soon, I mean, if this keeps going, it's just going to make it a lot more likely that we're going to see other bigger powers. It looks like Lebanon is already starting to, um, you know, kind of, you know, get more, you know, they're slipping slowly into this. Um, Syria, of course. Um, Jordan and Egypt seem to be trying to stay clear of most of it, but Iran is certainly starting to, you know, uh, give out warnings. And honestly, um, you know, in some ways, it's under, it's it's certainly understandable that if you see people who you are allied with, people who you are family members with, people who are part of the greater um, Muslim community, right? Um, I think it's likely that they're going to try to back them up, you know, and not let this continue. I mean, there's only one, one way to stop it, I think. Um, when someone's pounding you with military, uh, overwhelming military force, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think the only way that you can uh, deter it, really, uh, by conventional means, is to um, is to counterattack. I mean, it just seems obvious to me. Uh, shopping, queuing for bread, looking for water, life in Gaza City continues with no respite from Israeli bombing. Gaza City residents continue to go on living a semblance of their daily routines. Well, yeah, you got to survive. Uh, analysis, it's a win-win for Hezbollah against Israel so far. It'd be interesting to read. No privacy, no water. Gaza women use period-delaying pills amid war. Oh, God. No one trusts Netanyahu. Israeli's war cabinet divided amid Gaza conflict. Once pro-Palestinian, Greece is now one of Israeli's closest European allies. That's a, that's a shame. Greece has always been somewhat, um, you know, let's say uh, reasonable. Although, of course, if you're <laughs> Turkish or Armenian, uh, you might not say that. But... Uh, well, I don't know if Greece had anything against Armenia, but anyway. Um, yeah, kind of interesting. What does this one say? It's a win-win for Hezbollah. Hezbollah does not need to, to cross the border to keep Israel locked into the prospect of a two-front war. As, it, as Israeli advances into Gaza continue, they, for the first time, it appeared to be coming from more than... They, for the first time, appear to be coming from more than one direction. It is yet unclear whether these are still reconnaissance in force, or if Israel chose to make the ground invasion a rolling operation, increasing force levels gradually over time. Okay. In past conflicts, most Israelis braced together, avoiding questioning their government too much now. Many accuse Netanyahu of being responsible for the October 7 attacks. He has adamantly retorted that this is a time for war, quote-unquote. But while he was almost certainly referring to Israel's southern front in Gaza, his intransigence may see the opening of another one in the north. Well, Israel's northern neighbor, Lebanon, one such non-state -mili non military, Hezbollah, stronger than the national army and not under the control of the control of the central government. Okay. Hezbollah, meaning Party of God, was created in the 1980s during the Civil War in Lebanon. I guess we didn't learn our lesson from the barracks bombing back in the 80s. 
unite various factions of minority Shia Muslims and provide social services as the state had disintegrated. Encouraged by initial success and by the backing of Iran, Hezbollah developed an armed wing that quickly became a formidable fighting force. So formidable that it can be said to be the only Arab force ever to defeat Israel in battle. In 2000, Hezbollah resistance forced Israel to end its occupation of South Lebanon. Israelis angrily refused to call their withdrawal after a stay of 15 years of defeat, but they admit that Hezbollah was a major factor in their decision. Hezbollah showed an unprecedented, unexpected degree of sophistication and capability when it attacked Israeli Corbett Hanit, then one of the three most modern and capable ships with a Chinese-built land-sea missile. And it goes on and on, but... Yeah, I mean, if they start fighting... I think you've got a war that's probably more than twice as destructive. Um, what about this conflict within Israel? No one trusts Netanyahu. Israel's war cabinet divided amid Gaza conflict. You see, you never read that in the Western press. Of course, Al Jazeera is based in Qatar. Um, signs of the rift within Israel's establishment deepen, even as Netanyahu clears the next phase of war in Gaza. Took one tweet over the weekend for cracks to emerge within the Israeli political establishment. Just after midnight on Sunday, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu wrote that he had never been informed about warnings of Hamas's assault on Israel on October 7th. Netanyahu instead seemed to place the blame for the attack, where at least 1,400 people were killed, on his army intelligence chiefs. They had assessed prior to the attack that Hamas was deterred and ready for a settlement, he noted. The statement caused an uproar. Political leaders slammed Netanyahu for playing politics while the country was in the midst of a difficult military campaign. The outrage was such that the Prime Minister deleted the tweet in an unusually sober tone apologized for words, I was wrong. Okay. Experts say the episode confirmed, confirmed a widening rift within the political and military establishment, one that questioned Netanyahu's leadership and his capacity to navigate the country through war without prioritizing his owners, it's just over national security. Well, this is kind of like, um, you know, cousins fighting or something. It's not that interesting because it's basically people, they're, they're split in the sense that they're trying to place blame on on somebody or some group of people for, the, for, the, for not being aware of the attack, right? It's not that they're not, it's not that they're, they're, they're split in the sense that, you know, they, they are conflicted over what to do terms of the war and beyond that so that's not really that interesting um, in that sense what I would like to hear is where are all the liberal Israeli politicians I don't see any quotes I don't see any you know and of course well of course they're they're scared of that right they don't want to be um, targeted within Israel but uh, man if you if you if you need to be courageous now is the time you know, you have to put a stop to this. You have to take control and get, get rid of these conservative elements of the Israeli government, you know. Um, I think the uh, former prime minister made some comments that were pretty critical of uh, Netanyahu. But as I recall, again, it was, it was more uh, the flavor of he should have known what was coming and he failed and his government should be replaced because of their incompetency, not because they're carrying out a... Uh, a devastating um, war that is, is 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 wildly out of proportion to the attack that they sustained, um, just like the U.S. after 9/11. It's just a mirror image. No lessons learned, apparently. Okay, and I'm going to look at this pro-Palestinian, the Greece and pro-Palestinian, because I messed that up. Um, Two countries share energy ambitions, defense partnerships, and a mistrust of Turkey. Yeah, so they're kind of, <laughs> they're aligning for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, great. That seems to be the thing these days, you know. If, if you're on the wrong end of things, well, be in the wrong end of things, but be have allies, you know, so that you can, you can say, you know, you have, uh, it's not just you arguing for it. It's, it's these other people, but they're both just as wrong. Um, okay. 
Greece has emerged as a key supporter of Israel in the Eastern Mediterranean, a position unimaginable a little more than a decade ago, and apparently at odds with public opinion, as is everything, right? People don't want any of this stuff. I come here not just as an ally, but as a true friend, said the Greek Prime Minister. What else? Um, yeah. Okay, so he went to see Netanyahu, but he didn't go stop in on the Palestinian people or government. That may rankle with the two-thirds of Greece who support neutrality in the current war. Okay, at least they're neutral. While just 18.4% are in favor of a pro-Israel position, 11.5% want Greece to be openly pro-Palestinian, according to an opinion poll aired by Star Channel two days after Prime Minister's visit. Okay. Eight EU members voted for the UN call for a humanitarian ceasefire. Greece under Prime Minister chose not to be among them. Anyone who wants humanity and peace to prevail would follow a more balanced position that also maintains good relations, relations with the Arab world, a position that is conducive to a solution for the Palestinians, said um, the uh, opposition party in Greece. A historic change. Greece, Greece's official foreign policy position, now backed by right and left-wing parties when in power, is starkly different to its traditionally pro-Palestinian policy during the Cold War when Greece and Israel still had not, not developed full diplomatic relations. Yeah. The support for Palestinians was not merely sentimental. Greek-owned tankers carry a third of the world's crude oil, and that trade dictated good relations with the Arab world for decades. Another reason was Turkey's invasion of Cyprus in 1974. So they wanted some support from Israel for their side of things. Uh-huh. However, Israel's close relationship with Turkey in the 1990s was a problem for Greece. You know, it just kind of goes back and forth and back and forth. and You know, whatever is expedient for, you know, commerce, basically. Because I think capitalism is really what rules all these decisions when you look at it. Um, but, I mean, I could go into that in further detail, but I think it is more on, on a detail side, right? So, uh, what else? Maha says it will release some foreign hostages in coming days. Muslim women in the West in crosshairs of Zionists, white feminists. Um, and dehumanizing the Palestinians. Biden has surpassed Trump. Where is the responsibility to protect in Gaza? These are all opinion pieces. Israel is forcibly disappearing Gaza. A war in Sudan is a consequence of a derailed transition. I guess not really, really related, but um, yeah, that's kind of what you got on it on Al Jazeera. So let's move over to the AP, which is considered more neutral. Um, what do we have going? Israeli airstrikes level apartments in Gaza refugee camp as ground troops battle Hamas militants. Um, Israel ground forces attack Hamas targets in the north as warplanes strike across Gaza. War plunged Israel's agricultural heartlands into crisis, raising fears for its farming future. Misinformation about the Israel-Hamas war is flooding social media. Here are the facts. We already went over that one. UN agency in Gaza says urgent ceasefire is a matter of life and death for millions of Palestinians. Absolutely. An Israeli ministry in a concept paper proposes transferring Gaza civilians to Egypt, Sinai. Okay, so they'd love that. Because, um, I mean, they're actively trying to take take over Gaza. I mean, permanently, because they, they're already in charge, but... Um, U.S. military and di diplomatic leaders urge a divided Congress to send aid to both Israel and Ukraine. The U.N. envoy says the Israel-Hamas Israel war is spilling into Syria, adding to growing instability there. Yeah. Well, there you go. 
Let's see what else. Go over to the Guardian. IDF confirms Israel carried out airstrike on Gaza refugee camp, saying it killed the top Hamas commander. Well, you know, if you kill 400 people to get him, it's fine. See, more, more rationalization that makes no sense and is really a war crime and uh, will be will be processed, you know, maybe a decade from now, but even then, those people, you know, they have a kangaroo court and those people walk, just like the people in the United States walked. Um, even wars have rules, says the EU's commissioner. Bolivia's left-wing government has announced it will cut ties with Israel. Bolivia being one of the few governments that seems to be able to actually do what it chooses to do, as opposed to, you know, bowing to out, outside pressure. Um, top official in New York resigns over genocide of Palestinian civilians. Well, I don't know. I think there would be a good case to call it call the, the entire situation. It's certainly like apartheid. Um, certainly seems like the, the, the point of this is to, is to, if they can't get rid of the Palestinian people completely, then they're just going to keep them in a permanent limbo. And, uh, you know, I'm sure hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives have, 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 have just gone, you know, very quietly because of the mistreatment. Um, I don't know. Um, is it a genocide? I don't know. It's, it's not... It's not as thought out, let's say, as the Nazis were, but um, I don't know. It's kind of a sneaky, sneaky, uh, I don't know what do you call it. Um, there's got to be a word for it. I mean, there's got to be a word somewhere in between. Maybe this is what should be clear, clarified and people should start using a word, but there's got to be something between, you know, just what's considered a war, right? between two parties. Um, it doesn't really matter who you think is right or wrong, you know. Um, there's a lot of killing on both sides. And then a genocide, right, which is which is a conscious wiping out of a people and a culture. Um, I don't know, you could say there, there was a kind of a passive genocide. Uh, certainly they displaced almost a million people back in 19, I think it was 47. And um, it's been 75 years, and uh, their position really hasn't changed at all. Um, I think if you look at the public health statistics, you'll find that uh, the situation in Palestine bears no resemblance to the situation in Israel. Um, Israel's statistics are probably similar to other so-called first world countries, um, and Palestine... Uh, Statistics, I imagine, are very much like a, you know, so-called third world economy. Um, I don't know, if you look at that that way, there's certainly a difference. Uh, what you call it, um, uh, someone's got to come up with the proper term. Of course, you know, it depends on what side you're on, but one side will use one term and the other side will use another term, but certainly people who are intelligent come up with some kind of vocabulary for this. Um, but let's go over and see what they, you know, what they say about the rules of war. Be interesting. Um, even war wars have rules. You use commissioner for crisis management wrote on, formerly known as Twitter, posing a video underlying that these rules are not optional and civilians and civilian in infrastructure must be protected. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. But is anybody going to care about what he says? Um, top official in New York, let's see what is Director of New York Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights has resigned from his post protesting that the UN is failing in its duty to prevent what he categorizes as genocide of Palestinian civilians in Gaza under Israeli bombardment and citing the US, UK, and much of Europe as wholly complicit in the, in the horrific act. Okay, that might be slightly too strong, but um, it, it bears some resemblance to the truth and reality, I think. I think the only thing that's uh, somewhat questionable is calling it a genocide. Um, anyway, this will be my last communication to you in his role 
once again, we are seeing a genocide unfolding before our eyes, and the organization we serve appears powerless to stop it. Well, that seems to be certainly the case. But you got to give it to this guy, because uh, at least he, um, his name is Craig Mokeber, or Mokeber, I don't know how you pronounce it, but, um, you know, at least he's, 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 he's voicing an opinion, a very unpopular opinion on the other side. Um, but I'm sure he was forced to resign. Um, I'm, I don't know that to be the truth. Anyway, uh, he probably knew if he used the word genocide he was going to be pushed out, so he resigned before they could fire him. He said that the UN had failed to prevent previous genocides against the Tutsis in Rwanda, Muslims in Bosnia, Zidi in Iraqi Kurdistan, and uh, I don't know how to say it, Myanmar, um, Rohingya. Hi, Commissioner, we are failing again. Well, the UN is a feckless institution. It would be wonderful if they had some power, but they don't, and the United States certainly won't. You know, the United States is the only one that vetoed a ceasefire in the UN, so that tells you something. The current wholesale slaughter of the Palestinian people rooted in an ethno-nationalist colonial settler ideology in continuation of decades of their systemic persecution and purging based entirely upon their status as Arabs leaves no room for doubt. I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, this is textbook case of genocide. Again, I don't know if it's genocide. Um, refusing to meet their treaty obligations under the regime of conventions, but we're also arming Israel's assault and providing political and diplomatic cover for it. That's a, that's a good point. Um, yeah. So, it's a courageous person. They shouldn't have to be courageous. I mean, there's nothing courageous about that statement per se. I think it's pretty close to the truth. I mean, if you consider the uh, genocide, uh, if you consider Rwanda, ba Bosnia, and Kurdistan genocides, I mean, I don't, th I don't think that those were necessarily um, consciously planned the way the Nazis did. So maybe, maybe genocide does. I'd have to look at the definition, I suppose. Yeah. The outgoing director's resignation letter did not mention the 7th of October attack by Hamas on, on southern Israel, killing more than 1,400 people and taking 240 hostages. Even more contentiously, his letter calls for the effective end to the state of Israel. Okay, well, that seems like an outlier kind of position. Um, I understand why someone could feel that way, but I don't think that's really a reasonable thing to say. I don't think it makes any sense. It's not realistically going to happen. And uh, I believe that there should be a state of Israel and the Jewish people should be secure within that state. Um, so, yeah, maybe on that grounds, I mean, that, that seems a little, a little too, too off the deep end. Um, we must support the establishment of a single democratic secular state in all historic Palestine with equal rights for Christians, Muslims, and Jews, he wrote, adding... And therefore, the dismantling of the deeply racist settler colonial project and an end to apartheid across the land. Well, this guy is using a lot of, you know, I agree with much of that. But um, he worked with the UN in, since 1992. Um, you know, it's a shame that he's no longer part of it, but maybe he can be, he probably assumes he can be more effective on, on the outside. Um, so... I don't know. Got to give him credit for at least protesting, right, from the inside, at least for the for that moment. Now he's on the outside. But um, yeah, interesting. One of the few, you know, kind of counter failing forces going on. Um, settler and a new Nakba. Settler violence forces Palestinians out of West Bank villages, communities who have clung on for decades after leaving their homes in the face of rising attrition by Israelis. Okay. Life in Zanuda, a Palestinian village atop a windy ridge in desolate South Hebron Hills, deep in the occupied West Bank, has never been easy. The community are mostly herders who raise goats and sheep. 
uh, who have steadfastly refused to leave their homes despite the mounting difficulties posed by the IDF soldiers on the one hand and radical Israeli settlers on the other. But after weeks of intense settler violence in the aftermath of a mosque attack, 150 residents have made a collective decision to leave. So they were finally broken. Armed settlers, some in reservist army uniforms, some covering their faces. Why are you covering your face? Have begun breaking into their homes at night, beating up adults, destroying and stealing belongings, terrifying the children. So like the, the far right in the United States, when they go on these uh, Nazi marches through the uh, streets of Charlottesville in Virginia, they have to cover their faces. Well, you know, like the Ku Klux Klan, you know, there, there must be some, some shame associated with what they're doing. If what you're doing is perfectly okay, then why do you have to hide your face? After decades of a desperate flight, fight to cling on to their land, the community has decided they have lost. Well, you haven't lost. You've just been brutalized and forced out. On Monday, men and women cried as they dismantled their homes and haphazardly packed solar panels, animal feed, and personal belongings onto pickup trucks. The noise of the demolition drowned out the bleeding from the animal pens and threw up dust and debris that tore at the eyes and throat. So, yeah, this is going to be an excuse for more radical elements of the Israeli people to, you know, finally put the dagger in in some of these uh, communities. It's really sad. You know, all it takes is a, is a catalyst, whether it's the correct thing or not to do doesn't matter. It's just, oh, you did that to some of our people? Okay, now we're going to do it to you. It excuses it, but it's not rational. Netanyahu's political future looks shakier in the midst of Israel-Hamas war. Arab-American backing for president sinks over rock-solid Israel support. Agency says Hamas attack will inspire most significant terror threats since IS. I guess that's ISIS. Uh, dozens killed after Israeli airstrikes on Gaza refugee camp. So, on and on and on and on. Violence continues. Um, you know, basically the people who have their hearts and minds in the right places are are putting up a fight, but they're, you know, there's kind of a, it's almost like, oh, well, this is hopeless and looking the other way to some extent. People who aren't passionately involved in it anyway. And uh, United States, Israel, other powers, EU seems a little bit more in reality in terms of their point of view. They're at least... Um, Acknowledging the suffering that's going on and maybe how unfair it is. Um, UN is certainly speaking up. The International Criminal Court is keeping their eye on everything because, of course, there will be massive amounts of um, war crimes to be uh, attended to after this. Is, you know, it may it may take years. I mean, when it, when, it, when you think about months of of an attack, um, this thing could drag on very much like. America's wars with Iraq and Afghanistan. Afghanistan was the longest conflict in United States history, lasted almost 20 years. I would not be surprised to see something like this um, carry on for at least that long, um, uh, given the fact that uh, no other powers get involved. Now, if Iran gets involved, um, that's when it's going to get very messy, if and when it does. Because if Iran gets involved and they start, start uh, uh, making a difference in terms of the balance of power in the Middle East, the United States will not stand by and watch Iran um, do what they please, obviously. You know, every time there's something, you know, that's nefarious going on, the United States wants to figure out how Iran is behind it. Half the time they're not, but some of the time they're, you know, they're, they're behind something, I wouldn't call it nefarious. I would call it uh, sticking up for their own people, sticking up for their their uh, uh, Muslim world to some extent. And uh, I think you should expect that, and it seems completely reasonable. And I'm not sure why we, as a world superpower, 
sole superpower, have decided that we can meddle in their internal affairs, no matter how reprehensible some of the practices are in terms of, you know, the way they treat women and, the, you know, the, the, uh, the way that it's become a, almost an autocracy in terms of a, you know, I mean, you, you can't go around telling people that their culture has to be a democracy. If, if Iran decides and Afghanistan decides and all these other places decide, that they want to be a, uh, you know, a religious, uh, you know, uh, rule by by religious creed, then I guess that's what they're going to do. And it's up to the people, the population of those countries, if they're opposed to that, to try and um, establish a democracy. And, and that is pretty much the only way democracies get established, is by the people themselves deciding. In fact, our own country was established that way. The people themselves decided that they were going to, you know, um, get rid of the yoke of of, uh, of the king and the royalty and uh, become, a, become a democratic nation. Um, it's not like we invented democracies, but they certainly reached far back, you know, the old Greek and Roman times, to, uh, to recapture it. Um, you know, we're talking about decades, I mean, uh, centuries, almost centuries. Anyway, um, I think that's going to be it for me today. Um, nothing highly controversial here, but, um, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I should, I, sh I should just point out that this is going in a very, very dangerous direction. Um, what's mostly happening is that the Israeli government is getting revenge, and you can kind of understand that. But uh, now it's becoming, uh, you know, de facto slaughter of innocent people within Gaza. I don't see how that can stand. You know, if we if we take international law seriously, and just morals and ethics seriously, that that cannot stand. Uh, at the at the time for for the time being, it is the way it's going to be. Um, there's not going to be a lot of backlash, but I think eventually, you know, I think we're going to have to come to terms with this kind of, this kind of, you know, crazy conduct. But anyway, that's it for me. Yes, it's Giovanni McGuire. It is Halloween, October 31st, 2023, and uh, perhaps not the best subject for Halloween um, uh, day, but... Um, yeah, it is a horror what's going on over there, uh, but it's a real one. Anyway, um, try to enjoy the holiday, and uh, we'll come back at you with something else uh, next time. I don't think we're going to dwell too much on this subject in, in the future, but it will be a continuing subject for analysis. Anyway, everybody have a great holiday, and we'll see you soon.